0: I so appreciate those songs this morning. I don't know about you, but it just seemed to me like the songs had a touch of God on it this morning. I so appreciate that. Uh, Will, this morning, turn your Bibles to 2 Samuel, chapter number 15. Samuel, chapter number 15, <clears throat> I desire your prayers this morning, let all stand if you will for the reading of reverence of the word of God, I'm going to read 2 Samuel chapter number 15, the first six verses. When I get done with these verses, I'm going to ask Brother Shane to take us to the throne of grace, okay? The Bible said in 2 Samuel chapter number 15, And it came to pass after this that Absalom prepared him chariots and horses and fifty men to run before him. Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate. It was so that when any man that had a controversy came to the king for judgment, then Absalom called unto him and said, Of what city art thou? And he said, Thy servant is one of the tribes of Israel. And Absalom said unto him, See, thy matters are good and right. There is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. Absalom said, Moreover, oh, that I were made judge in the land, that every man which hath any suit or cause might come unto me, and I would do him justice. And it was so that when any man came nigh to him to do him obeisance, he put forth his hand and took him and kissed him, And on this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Brother Shane, if you will, take us to the throne of grace. Amen. All right. You can be seated. All right. This morning, we're going to be in a uh, different gear than we normally would be on uh, Sunday morning. I've got a message on my heart that I highly doubt that I'll get through this morning. We've got a lot to cover. The more I read, the more I've studied, uh, the more just keeps coming to light. So I'm going to try to give you... uh, Give you what I can as quick as I can, and then we'll, we may have to continue on tonight. I would ask if you're at all able to be here tonight, would you please be here tonight to catch the second portion of what we do not get finished, uh, this morning. All right. Now, uh, last Sunday morning, I believe it was, I preached a message on not losing heart. And the purpose of that message, or I guess the thrust of the message, would be not to get discouraged and quit on God, understanding that uh, Paul said that we brethren, are being taken from you for a short time in presence, he wasn't he wasn't in the presence of the church at Thessalonica, but he said I hadn't lost heart. In heart, I was with you, and so we preached a message on not uh, not losing heart in that manner tonight or this morning. I want to deal with not having your heart taken. All right, and, and as we consider Second Samuel chapter number 15, the Bible said in verse number 6, So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And so I want to be careful this morning to, to deal with a message on guarding your heart. Now, um, I believe if the Lord will help us, we'll, we'll have some things for you, but you just bear with me as we're, I don't know if you call this preaching, teaching, I don't know what you call this, you just bear with us and we'll try to give you uh, what God's placed on our heart, okay? But we need to look and and, and kind of get a feel uh, overall for what's actually going on uh, in this chapter and what has led up to the event that we just uh, read in your hearing. And so I'm going to give you a few things, just kind of a rough overview of what's been going on. Let's not forget for, for several weeks, we dealt in Psalms 32, Psalms 51, and uh, that was directly related to 2 Samuel chapter number 11, where David found himself in a gross immoral act with Bathsheba. You run into 2 Samuel chapter number 12, and in 2 Samuel chapter number 12, you find that Nathan at the prophets come to David, and uh, he's talked to David about uh, David's sin. David realizes and understands, according to Psalms 32, he had gone through a great A battle in his life between the time that he he, uh, committed this gross immoral act to the time that Nathan the prophet has come to him and talked to him and David has acknowledged his sin. David was a shell of the man that he was when this gross immoral act had taken place. So we see the physical degradation of David's life. Now we understand that the Lord, uh, the the Nathan prophet told uh, David, that the sword would not depart from his house, right? So we've often mentioned that the sin was forgiven, but the consequences were ever present. And it's it's interesting to me, when you start looking at the book of 2 Samuel, you find how we go right out of David's sin and forgiveness. Immediately, does David in 2 Samuel chapter number 13 start dealing with some problems that's hit him, in the home front because of the things that David had done. I want to say to you, sin always catches up to an individual. And the consequences of those sins always have a bearing weight and effect on an individual. So let me just, if I can, just run through a few things quickly, bringing you up to speed on what's going on after... Uh, And the Lord's just worked this out for this just to happen kind of right down the timeline of what we've already been dealing with. But David comes out of getting forgiveness of his sin and we roll right into chapter number 13 and we find that Absalom had a sister named Tamar. And Amnon, their brother, was vexed for Tamar uh, in a sinful, desirous way. And I'm not going to get into this deep. We've got a lot of ground to cover this morning, so... You just hang with me, and we'll hit the highlights and try to get into the message, okay? But we understand here that uh, Absalom had a sister, Tamar, and Amnon, their brother, was vexed for Tamar. And uh, we understand that Amnon uh, committed unwanted acts with Tamar against Tamar's will. And so in Second Samuel 13, uh, verses 20 and 21, the Bible said, and Absalom, her brother, said unto her, Hath Amnon, thy brother, been with thee? But hold now thy peace, my sister. He is thy brother. Regard not this thing. So Tamar remained desolate in our brother Absalom's house. So we find Tamar is with Absalom. All right, Absalom is kind of, if you will, taken this personal. He's taken somewhat responsibility for his sister. And then we find in verse number 21, But when King David heard of all these things, he was very raw. So David was angry. David was upset brother Gene about what had transpired and what had taken place between Tamar uh, and Amnon. But here's what I want to deal with. David is angry, but you'll find David's going to have a hard time fathering above his level of living. Now let's consider that for just a moment. I can't preach above my level of living. I cannot do it with the spirit of God on my preaching. And I cannot do it and get away with it because my wife, my children, and my church is going to know that the things that I stand and preach hold no weight because I do not respect them in my own life. So David's going to have some difficulty dealing with this situation that has transpired between Tamar and Amnon because the second he goes to Amnon, Amnon's going to throw it in his face as to what David has done with that of Bathsheba. And we understand also that in this time, if you'll recall that we brought this out when we preached out of Psalms chapter number 32, David has got the weight of his sin on himself, but David is also trying to rule and reign over Israel. He's still a father that has a family that he's responsible for training up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And supposed to be setting an example, let me say to you, example bears a a heavy load. The idea of do as I say, not as I do, sounds good, but it doesn't hold any weight. We are to be an example. And so David's going to have a hard time getting a hold of Amnon and and dealing with Amnon because of the level of living that David had just come out of. That's the problem. There's a big consequence to living in sin is not being able to help your offspring or those that's under you come up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord because they see you as a fake and a phony and what you say doesn't bear any weight. So it's important to understand this morning that what we do in this life not only has an effect on what we say, but how people take what we say and utilize it. So David is angry. He's wroth. He's upset at what's happened. But if you'll notice, David doesn't say anything, Brother Marvin. What good would it have done David to say anything when David has just dealt with the sin that he's been involved in? His family has seen the the degradation of his health. His family knows that he's not the man that he used to be. And i got news for you. When you've wore what David wore, you don't bounce back from it. Uh, immediately. And see, that's a picture of sin as well. Sin had a physical effect on David and brought him down to the shell of a man. And I want you to know it takes a lot of groceries and a lot of calories to get a man back up to where he used to be after he's nearly starved himself to death and died. It don't happen immediately. And coming back and winning people back over uh, to your way of thinking after you've been caught, in gross immoral, sin, and that doesn't happen overnight. You have to live a life that's pure. And I understand we have to have the Lord to help us. And I'm not saying we have sinless perfection. And I'm not preaching sinless perfection. But I'm saying we have to to point ourselves towards the Lord. And it takes longer, friend, to win people back over than it does to lose them. And for them to lose their trust and their faith in you as an individual. So let me say to you, if you've got in sin and you've got forgiveness and you've got it under the blood, praise the Lord, but please have a have a little grace with those that you wanted them to have a little grace with you. Let them Give them some reason to see something in your life that shows them that you're serious about doing what God wants you to do and being what God wants you to be. You don't bounce back from it immediately. That doesn't mean people hate you. It means that people need to be able to trust you. And, and they need to be able to, to have faith that when their children or someone around is around you that you're not going to lead them astray. And do, that doesn't mean people hate you. But let me say this. David is angry, but he cannot father above his level of living. We'll never be able to preach, to teach, father or mother above our level of living. All right, so let's move on here. Uh, let's see here. Uh, David, like so many who have a bunch of kids in the Bible, uh, is, an, is an indulgent father who ends up with a lot of children who don't turn out so good. You say, what do you mean? Well, let's go back and look at Eli. So I started looking at this this uh, this, this train, this chain of events that goes comes to pass. And when I go back to Hannah and I look at what Hannah has done by giving Samuel over to Eli down at the tabernacle at the house of the Lord, there's some things that show up even in this this instant that is uh, being portrayed and shown to Samuel. So let's look at this for just a minute. You can look at the the high priest Eli and see how his children turned out. 1 Samuel 2 and 12 says they were sons of Belial. Do you know what that is? That's pure wickedness. Eli is a high priest. He's God's man, but he's not much of a father. Hannah sent her son Samuel to the house of the Lord, the tabernacle in Shiloh. And who does she leave him with? Eli. Hannah was was sending Samuel to get a Christian education. She's sitting down there to be with God's man in the house of the Lord and learn and see. And she devoted and give him to the Lord. But we understand the house of the Lord was a very dangerous place. So what do you mean? How could the house of the Lord be a dangerous place? Because there was things being allowed to happen. In the house of the Lord brother Shane. That shouldn't have been allowed to go on. And to happen. And guess who was allowing it to happen. The high priest Eli. Now Hannah thinks. What better place to take my baby boy. Than down to Eli. To the house of the Lord at the tabernacle. And turn him loose with God's command. And let him get a good Christian education. And she's left him there. Now let me say this. There's a lot of mamas and daddies that are taking their daughters and their sons and they're giving them to the house of God and expecting them to get the Christian education that they're supposed to have just down at the house of God. They're laying it all on the man of God. They're laying it all on the Sunday school teachers and saying, look, I want them to have the best Christian education possible, but I'm laying it all on the preacher and I'm laying it all on the Sunday school teacher. And if they get it, hallelujah, and if they don't, well, it ain't my fault. I got news for you. It is your fault. And let me say this, and this ain't even in my outline, so God help us this morning, okay? I'm not trying to be mean. But what I'm saying is she's given her son to the house of God, to the man of God, and she's saying, give him a good Christian education. I devote him to the Lord. But guess what's happened? He's in a place where there should have been safety, a place where there should have been everything that he needed, but there was still some things going on in God's house that wasn't right and it was being allowed to happen from the authority down at the house of God, and so it was not. It was a place where she thought he'd be safe, and a place where she thought he'd get a good education. But it turns out that he's in a place where things just aren't right. Things are things are being done. There's racketeering going on down at God's house, and it's Eli's sons, the high priest, that's doing it. The Bible said in verse Samuel two and seventeen. Wherefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord. Well, I got news for you, if it was great before the Lord, it was great before Eli. Eli was overlooking some things. Listen to me now. God help us this morning. I'm not trying to be mean. We cannot overlook things that's going on in God's house and expecting it just to go away. It's going to cause problems and it's going to cause trouble. So the Bible said in 1 Samuel 2 and 17, Wherefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Do you know what that means? It doesn't say that Eli's sons. It said men. It means God's chosen people were going down to the tabernacle and sacrifice was being made and they seen what Eli's sons was doing with it and they got so distressed that the high priest wouldn't do something about what was going on at the house of God that they decided they didn't even want to be there anyway. They, they, They abhorred it. They hated it. They didn't even want to be involved in it because they seen the fakeness and the phoniness of what was going on down at God's house. Good people From the carnal thought process, started hating what was going on at God's house. Can I say this? Bad people don't care what goes on at God's house. Bad people don't give a hoot what's going on at God's house. So let me say this. If things that are going on at God's house starts hurting the people that have a desire to see things be right, they start leaving and the bad people don't care to stay because they didn't care to begin with. And then what you've got, friend, because you let sin in that place, all the good people are gone, and all you got left is a bunch of people who don't care. And when you got people that's at the house of God who don't care what goes on, then you find that the house of God turns into what it's turned into all across this nation. So let me say this: you cannot cover up things that are wrong in God's house. You cannot. You cannot cover it up. <clears throat> you cannot allow it to hang around the house of God. But you've got to deal with it. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 2 for just a moment. I'm going somewhere. We're going real slow, but we're going somewhere, okay? 1 Samuel chapter number 2. not sure what I just told you, but it's 1 Samuel chapter number 2. Let's look at verse number 22. Now, the Bible said in 1 Samuel 2 and 20, uh, let's see here, 22. Now, Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did unto all Israel and how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Do you see how the evil just keeps unfolding? It's just getting worse and worse all the time down at the house of God. Hannah's took her little boy, and she's dropped him off down at God's house. And the next thing you see is Eli's got some sons It's racketeering down at God's house, and he's laying with women down at God's house. and uh, the, the, His sons are doing all kinds of ungodly acts down at God's house. Eli's sons... The Bible said in verse 23, And he said unto them, Why do ye such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all this people. Do you reckon Eli being at the house of God knew this stuff was going on at the house of God? Sure he did. But he didn't start dealing with it until the people come to him. He let what was going on in God's house get outside to all the people of Israel until the people of Israel couldn't take it no more. And then they come to the man of God and say, Hey, you're going to have to do something. It ought not be so that the man of God allows things to go on in God's house that don't need to go on and let it go and go and go until somebody has to come to him and say, are you going to deal with this or are you not going to deal with it? So it wasn't that Eli was being led of God to do this. It was that Eli was just upset because the people were bothering him about what his sons were doing. So the Bible said and he said unto them, why do you such things for I hear of your evil dealings by all this people? Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear you make the Lord's people to transgress. You know what happens when you let sin go on at the house of God unchecked and uncovered and just sweep it under the rug and act like it's not happening. And you just keep congregating and you just keep doing. It bleeds out into everybody else. And before you know it, it's causing neon. To have a stumbling block laid in front of them, and now they're transgressing because the place that they ought to be, uh, everything ought to be right and in order, is not right and not in order. If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a uh, but if a man shall uh, shall sin, if, excuse me. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Notwithstanding, they will hearken not unto the voice of their father, because the Lord would slay them. And the child Samuel grew on. Notice how, do you notice how it just swaps gears? Boom, instantly. Just swaps gears. We're dealing with Eli. We're dealing with Eli's sons. We're dealing with the people of Israel complaining to Eli about his sons. Eli's gone to his sons and is fussing because the people are are seeing what they're doing. Then it goes to Samuel. It said, and the child Samuel grew on. That means he was growing up in the midst of the perverse acts and the sin that was being allowed to happen in the church. Let me tell you something. Don't be surprised when churches allow sin to be go, go unchecked in the house of God, that people grow up in that mess and then they have problems with the very sin they see in the house of God. It's not popular to deal with problems in God's house. It's not popular to deal with issues that's going on uh, in the house of God. But if you don't, you're putting not only that individual at risk, but everyone else at risk that is in the presence of the one that's doing the sinful act. So the Bible said the child Samuel grew on and was in favor both with the Lord and also with men. All right, now, 1 Samuel chapter number 8. Turn with me there quickly. Chapter number 8, verse number 1. And it came to pass when Samuel was old. That he made his sons judges over Israel. Let's pause here for just a minute. Do you remember who went to Jesse to anoint a king over Israel? Do you remember that? Samuel goes to Jesse. And he wants Jesse to get, us, get his sons together. And he's going to choose a king. And who did he choose? He chose David. So it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of the firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second Abiah, they were judges in Beersheba. And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after a Lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. And all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel under Ramah. And said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel. When they said, Give us a king to judge us, and Samuel prayed unto the Lord. Now, now let's think about this for just a moment. Samuel has grown up in the house of God in the name of getting a Christian education. Samuel has seen what Eli has done by raising his children and allowing his children to do what his children had done. And what do we find happens? Samuel grows up. He's old. He's wanting to make his sons judges. And the the people of Israel understand that uh, thou art old and thy sons walk not in thy ways. He's continued a pattern that he's seen growing up down at God's house. And he's continued that pattern. And now Samuel shows up in the life of King David. And King David, David's been, now we understand he anoints Saul to be king. There's a process here, Saul, it repents God that he has made Saul a king. But at the end of the day, we find out that he's gone to Jesse and he's anointed King David. And what does King David do? He does the same thing Eli does. And the very same thing that Samuel done, he's done the same thing. Now he's got a house full of children and he's got problems at home. Problems at home. So we understand here it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. And um, Samuel, can I say Samuel was a good judge? Look at your Bible, read your Bible, study your Bible. Samuel was a good judge. Samuel was a good prophet. And in all, in all reality, from a carnal viewpoint, looking at the Word of God, we would say that, that Samuel was a good man in general. But just like Eli, he failed at being a father. And so David has followed right along after Samuel. He has children out of control uh, that are going to do what they want to do regardless of the consequences. The consequences are great. David's done some things in his life where the consequences are great. David's children now are doing things that's causing the consequences in their life to show up and they're great. Now we see that some did wrong knowing they weren't doing wrong. We can look at Ammon and tell that. Ammon knew that what he was wanting to do with Tamar was absolutely wrong. But guess what? He wanted it anyway. Some people do wrong knowing it's wrong and they're going to do it no matter what. Some were victimized and suffered consequences. That would be Tamar. And some did wrong thinking they they were justified in what they were doing. You need to consider that one. We, We find out here that Absalom felt justified in what he was about to do. So, we see that he is... Uh, Thinking that he's justified in doing wrong, all the while believing that what he's doing is the right thing to do. Alright, so Absalom, we find that he has Amnon killed in 2 Samuel chapter number 13. Problems are unfolding here. David has got his sin forgiven, but the consequences of his actions is coming home to roost. And we find that he's got three children now, one that has been victimized, one that has done wrong knowing that what he was doing was wrong and didn't care what anybody had to say about it. And then we got one that thinks that he's doing right, justifying his actions all the while he's doing wrong in what he's done. Now listen, that seems to me like some people that just going to do what they want to do because they want to do it. Everybody has the ability to try to justify their actions. What really gets me here is this one son that does wrong thinking that he's justified and that when he does wrong, he's actually, he thinks he's doing right. Now, now we get into a scary situation where people think they're doing right, but they're doing wrong and they justify what they're doing because of how they feel. Now, let me explain to you something. There's a big emotion that's taken over in Absalom's life. He sees something that he don't like. He sees something that he thinks somebody should do something else about it other than what's been done. And he doesn't wait for uh, for David to deal with it. He decides that he don't like how David's responding to it. And he doesn't like how the king is looking at this situation. So he's going to handle it how he sees fit. And we see that he has uh, Amnon killed in 2 Samuel chapter number 13. Now let me explain to you what happens here. He does what he wants to do regardless of the consequences, but he knows after he does it that he better get out of town. He knows that he cannot stay within the kingdom. He cannot stay at Jerusalem. He cannot be a part of Israel under King David, having done what he'd done uh, to to one of David's own. He's taken the leadership position that wasn't given him, him to take, and he's decided that he's going to do what he wants to do regardless. He does it and he flees town. And he knows he has to flee because it's just possible he could wind up dead for what he's done. All right? So where does he go? We find out Second 2 Samuel 13, uh, I believe it's 38. No, that wouldn't be right. 28? That ain't right either. Oh, I'm in the wrong one here. We find in 2 Samuel 13, I believe it's 13, that that Absalom ends up at Gesher uh, for three years. Then when we get to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 14, we find out that Joab comes and plays on David's emotion about bringing Absalom back home. I'm in 1 Samuel, that's why I'm looking at the wrong verses. Let me go back to 2 Samuel here, chapter number 13. All right, so 2 Samuel 14, we find out that, that uh, Joab has played on David's emotions about bringing Absalom back home. And here's what he does. Follow along here for just a minute. He uses a widow woman from Tekoa to do it. Now listen to me. He takes this widow woman who's lost her husband. And, you know, she's sweet. She's going through a hard time. And Joab takes her and he puts her in front of the king and allows the emotions of what that sweet woman has gone through to play on the heartstrings of David. And it's all a plan. This is all articulated. You need to understand that. And Joab's wanting to get David's son back into the kingdom. And so he uses this widow woman, and this widow woman does what most any widow woman can do. She tells her honest to God, true life story. It pulls on the heartstrings of David. The next thing you know, then she petitions David to bring Absalom back home to Israel and earth to Jerusalem. All right, so you, let me say this. When you get a a woman, I don't mean this rude, I don't mean this mean, so don't misunderstand me, that's gone through something that's emotional, it causes a person to hurt for them. And and Joab understands the, the, the crowbar effect, the prying effect of using this woman. And a lot of people can take a woman and use her against other people. And what he's done is he's taken this woman's emotion and he's played on her emotion. He's played on David's heartstrings and he's using her for a crowbar. And they do that. So it's not fair what Joab's done to the widow woman because she don't understand. And it's not fair what Joab's done to David by using the widow woman. And he understands the effect of taking this woman and using this woman against David. People will do that when they want their way. You've not lived till you get about three mad women a hold of you. I'd rather Brother Gene take me out back and punch me in the lips as to have three mad women in this church after me. Because I understand the emotion that comes with such an issue. And Joab's articulated this. He's paid attention and he's using what he can to get what he wants. Let me show you the danger of doing what you can to get what you want. All through this, David has been subjected to people who's doing what they can to get what they want. Amnon done what he could to get what he wanted. Absalom done what he could to get what he wanted. Now Joab's done what he can to get what he wanted. And nobody is asking the king what the king thinks about him. They're just doing what they want to do. So, we understand here that Absalom, let's see if I'm in the yeah, Absalom. Uh, Samuel chapter number fourteen, verses number twenty one said, And the king said unto Joab, Behold, now I have done this thing, go therefore bring the young man Absalom again. And Joab fell to the ground on his face and bowed himself and thanked the king. And Joab said, Today thy servant knoweth that I have found grace in thy sight, my lord, O king, and that the king hath fulfilled the request of his servant. So Joab arose and went to Gesher and brought Absalom to Jerusalem, and the king said, Let him turn to his own house, and let him not see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house and saw not the king's face. There's still some strife. There's still some problems here between Absalom and David. David's give in and David's see everything was was not right between David and Absalom. Everything was all right in Israel. Everything was all right in the kingdom. But people are playing on David's emotion and David's decided, well, go ahead and get him and bring him back. So they bring him back, but David really don't want to see him because there's some there's some there's some tension there, there's some problems between them. So David's he's thought about it and he said, Well, go get him and bring him back, but I, I don't really think I'm interested in seeing him right now. And so Absalom comes back to Jerusalem with Joab. David wouldn't see him, but allows Absalom to go to his house and study. Now hear me, hear me well. Three years, he's been gone to Gesher. And the three years he was gone to Gesher, the kingdom still kept going like it needed to go. There had been some trouble. There had been some bumps in the road. But the one that's causing the problems is out of the picture. But because of emotionalism and because of people's heartstrings and how they feel, let's go get him and bring him back. So Joab goes and gets him and brings him back. And what happens? David just can't stand the thought of talking to him and dealing with him right now because he understands what has transpired and the magnitude of what has happened. All right, so one writer had this to say, Absalom didn't follow guidelines. Uh, he was not a good man, however, he was a great politician. Now think about this. Absalom comes back. 1 Samuel chapter number 14 and verse number 25 says this. But in all Israel, there was none to be so much praise as Absalom for his beauty. From the sole of his foot, even to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. Now, listen, think about that. You know what that means? Let me tell you what that means. They see no fault in him. They look at him. They see him. They think he's beautiful. He's the king's son. He must be a great person. Now, I don't know if David advertised what happened to Tamar, but I doubt it. And I don't think David advertised to all of Israel what's transpired with Amnon. I got news for you. These things that's happened in my family, I didn't go around spreading with everybody. And you might have some folk in your family that's done some things you ain't proud of either, but you ain't going around telling everybody. So everybody's kept their mouth shut, and everybody's kept it quiet, and everything's fine down in Israel. And here comes beautiful Absalom back. We find no fallen Absalom. And when he pulled his head, for it was at every year's end that he pulled it, because the hair was heavy on him, therefore he pulled it, he weighed the hair of his head at 200 shekels after the king's weight. And unto Absalom there were born three sons and one daughter whose name was Tamar. She was a woman of fair countenance. So Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem and saw not the king's face. So for three years he was in Gesher. David's allowed him back and he's sat in Jerusalem for two full years. And Israel has taken notice of the beauty of Absalom. But everything's been kept quiet. Nothing's been said and all is well in Israel. The Bible said, therefore Absalom sent Joab to have sent him to the king, but he would not come to him. And when he sent again the second time, he would not come. Let me explain to you what happens here. We find that, that Absalom has discovered a weakness in David. He left the kingdom and stayed gone for three years and wouldn't have come back, but guess he went for him? Joab. Joab knew that he had somebody on the inside that was willing to listen to what he had to say. And so he links up with the one that believes in him. And he links up and he sees, oh, there's a weakness in that back in, in Israel, back in Jerusalem. And undoubtedly, he's willing to let me come back in spite of the fact that I technically should have died for what I did. But he's come back, and guess what? He's not satisfied with just coming back. He's not happy with just being in Jerusalem. What he wants is what he still wants. He still wants what he wants, and he's still going for what he wants, and he's going to get what he wants if it ups the devil. So here's what he does. He says, Absalom sent for Joab. Why Joab? Because Joab's the one that got him back to Jerusalem. They always gravitate to the one that helps them in their justification. Right. To have sent him to the king, but he would not come to him. And when he sent again the second time, he would not come. So Joab realizes he stuck his neck out, and now he's kind of in, in between them. He's betwixt two. See, he's got the problem sitting here in Jerusalem and he's got the king sitting in Jerusalem and he's got to decide which one he's going to, to, to go with. But we understand Absalom knows that he's got something against Joab and he's going to use it. What's he do? The Bible says, Therefore he said unto his servant, See, Joab's field is near mine and he hath barley there. Go and set it on fire. And Absalom's servant set the field on fire. Then Joab arose and came to Absalom unto his house and said, Unto him, wherefore have they ser- have thy servant set my field on fire? We're finding out, and Joab's finding out. Absalom don't care too much about Joab. It never was really about Joab. It was about what Joab could do for Absalom. You see the danger here that's taking place, because at the end of the day, there's a goal that's in mind. And the goal is to set out and accomplish that which you choose to set out and accomplish in spite of who it hurts or what it causes or what it brings forth. And we're willing to burn down and tear up and destroy relationships to get what we want regardless. He said, Then Joab arose and came to Absalom unto his house and said unto him, Wherefore thy servant set my fill on fire? And Absalom answered Joab, Behold, I sent unto thee, saying, Come hither that I may send thee to the king to say, Wherefore am I come from Geshur? It had been good for me to have been there still. Now therefore let me see the king's face. That's right. It would have been good for him to still have been in Geshur. I'll agree with you there. He said, now therefore let me see the king's face, and if there be any iniquity in me, let him kill me. So Joab came to the king and told him And when he had called for Absalom, he came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom. Now listen, you need to pay attention to this. In verse number 33, Joab gets in front of King David. He's finally where he wants to be. And you know what he does? He takes a knee And he acts like he's reverence to the king for for what he is. And he acts like he's willing to hear what the king has to say. But in all reality, he still has an agenda. And he's still got his mind on what he wants. It looks good, and it looks respected, and it looks right, but at the end of the day, it's all wrong. He's just trying to get where he wants to be. So here's what happens. Verse number one, And it came to pass after this that Absalom prepared him chariots and horses and fifty men to run before him. And Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate. He's using David against David. He's using resources from where he's at and for who he is and for who he knows against the very one that's giving him the resources. He said, And it came to pass after this that Absalom prepared prayed him church and horses and picked him to run before him. And Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate. And it was so that when any man that had a controversy came to the king for judgment, then Absalom called unto him and said, Of what city art thou? And he said, Thy servant is one of the tribes of Israel. So here's the thing. He's got back where he needs to be and he's in time. And now he's got access to the people that's involving himself with David and their issues in life. And when they come back from talking to David, here's what Absalom does. He just befriends them and inquires of them and makes them think that he's there for their benefit. And this is what he says, And Absalom said unto him, See, thy matters are good and right, but there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. Absalom said, Moreover, oh, that I were made judge in the land, that every man which hath any suit or cause might come unto me, and I would do him justice. All he's done is planted a seed. He's planted a seed to get people interested in bringing their problems to him, that he can help them out. Well, sure he can. Maybe the king says something to one of them that they don't like. But Absalom is the king's son. I'll go to him and he'll help me get what I want out of the deal. And it was so that when any man came nigh to him to do him obeisance, he put forth his hand and took him and kissed him. On this banner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Let me say this. All some people need is somebody to stand with them. All some people are looking for is somebody to tell them what they want to hear. And then, the next thing you know, we find here that Israel has, has fell under a spell, if you will, under Absalom. Let me tell you what happened here. David couldn't change who Absalom was. David had no control over Absalom's mind. He was a grown man. He could make his own decisions. He could do what he wanted to do. And David couldn't control him. But David could have done one thing. He could have kept him from coming back to Jerusalem. The only thing David could have done to spare him of this mess. Let me tell you something. This mess is now spilling over to all the people of Israel. And we're going to find, if I can get on into this in just a minute, that there becomes a civil war. And it becomes at Mount Ephraim there's a battle that happens between David and Absalom. It gets to the point, and it always gets to the point of battle. You need to understand that. It always comes up at battle, no matter how you handle it. The problem is, though, it cost Israel twenty thousand men. Twenty thousand men under the king of under King David loses their life because of a controversy that could have been held and handled if David had just kept him the desert and not allowed him to come back into the kingdom. You can't help what people do. You can't help what people think. But you can help whether or not those people infiltrate and hurt the people that you care for. All of this, listen to me now, let this sink in what I'm fixing to say to you. All of this has been done through persuasion of others. And the persuasion has been done by pressuring The right people. Think about this. There's been persuasion and there's been pressure applied. And the pressure being applied has caused the persuasion and allowed things to happen and creep in that should have never been allowed to happen. And the next thing you know, all of Israel is in trouble. And the Bible says that he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. They give their heart. But they were deceived. The heart is deceitful, right? You take somebody, tell them what they want to hear, tell them something that sounds good, and you win them every time. It's when you tell them what's right, when you tell them what hurts that they don't want to hear. So he stole the people. So we fast forward to the battle of Ephraim in 2 Samuel chapter number 18. And the Bible says this, And David numbered the people that were with him and set captains of thousands and captains of hundreds over them. This is in uh, chapter number 18. Let me say this real quickly before I forget it. David gets run out of the kingdom. David's still appointed. David's still anointed. But David has to leave. David has to flee or David could lose his life. David's allowed the one that fled and the one that left to come back. And when he come back, guess what? David had to leave. Can I say to you, sometimes it boils down to this. It's me or you. There's some times in your life where you have to make a decision. It's going to be me or it's going to be you. And you you have to make that decision. It's not fun. Let me tell you something. David was sick in his guts to know that Absalom, his son, the one he loved, was causing him this problem. And actually, the closeness of the relationship is what allowed the danger to come after Israel. Did he love Absalom? Oh, yeah, he did. He loved him so much that he warns the people here in verse five. And the king commanded Joab and uh, Abishai uh, and Ittai, saying, deal gently for my sake with the young man, even with Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave all the captains charge concerning Absalom. And all that Absalom had done to him, he still loved Absalom. But he had to do what he had to do. But let me tell you what actually ends up happening here. Verse number six, so the people went out into the field against Israel and the battle was in the wood of Ephraim where the people of Israel were slain before the servants of David and there was there a great slaughter that day of 20,000 men. Men that didn't have to die have lost their life because of one thing. Many things, many things provoked this to happen, but at the end of the day, David bring Absalom back from Geshur. David could have spared all these men and himself the trouble and the heartache by bringing him back. He said, well, he loved him. Yeah, he did. But guess what? He ends up losing him anyway. You can't keep what you can't keep, friend. You cannot do that. And you cannot compromise the betterment of those that's under your care just because of an emotional uh, attachment. For the battle was there, uh, verse number 7, where the people of Israel were slain before the servants of David And there was there a great slaughter that day, 20,000 men, for the battle was there, scattered over the face of all the country, and the wood devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. Now, hold with me here in verse 9, let's read this. And Absalom met the servants of David. And Absalom rode uh, upon a mule, and the mule went under the thick uh, bows of a great oak, and his head caught hold of the oak. And he was taken up between the heaven and the earth. In other words, let me explain you what happens here. He's riding a mule. Wars broke out between Absalom and his followers and David and his followers. And Absalom is riding along on a mule and he comes under the, the limb of an oak tree that was hanging low and got his hair caught up in the oak tree and it ripped him off his mule. And the next thing you know is he's hung between the heavens and the earth. You know what people do? when they're living in sin and they've allowed themselves to get against the right way, they're hung between the world and the heavens. They don't know if they want to go the way of the world or if they want to go the way of God. And He's hanging in the balance, if you will, between the earth, between the world, and between heaven. And when you get to the place where you're willing to hang in the balance between the both, or, uh, between both riding both sides of the fence, you know, you're neither hot nor cold, but you're lukewarm. And the Bible said that he'd spew those that were lukewarm out of his mouth. The Lord has no no use for that of lukewarm Christianity. But we find that he's hung between the heaven and he's hung between the earth. And he hasn't made a decision and now he's weighing in the balance. Can I say to you this? 2 Samuel 18 and 9 shows what happens to Absalom for his choices. And the direction that he chose to take. He simply was in control of that mule, Brother Shane. He's the one that had the reins. He's the one that told the mule where to go. He's the one that directed the mule to where the mule went. But guess what? Because of his direction and because of Absalom's leadership, he winds up hung in a great oak between the heavens and the earth. Following your own direction and your own way of thinking and doing things your own way and having it your way and justifying it and going against the grain all the time. Guess what happens? You're going to find yourself hung between the heavens and the earth, and you're not going to be of either sort. Then get this. The Bible said the mule that was under him went away. And a certain man saw it and told Joab and said, Behold, I saw Absalom hanged in an oak. Joab Joab said unto the man that, that told him, And behold, thou sawest him, Why didst thou not smite him there to the ground? And I would have given thee ten shekels of silver, and a girdle. You know what Joab decided? All the effort that he put in to try to get Job, to get Absalom back to any day in Jerusalem was a fatal mistake. All that had been all that had cost. All that had been lost. All that had been done. All the and all the pain from all the undermining and all the working and all the pushing and all the trying to do things behind the scenes to get it across to do what he wanted to do. All it's done was cause death and destruction, and at the end of it all, Joab turns on for him and realizes that at the end of the day, you've been to with him, guess or who? And so now he's responsible for getting back to Jerusalem, and he's going to be responsible for taking him out because he realizes what he's done. So here's what I here's what I want to say to you, and I and I'll be done this morning, and we'll finish uh, the rest of this maybe tonight. So the Lord will help us. The Bible said in Matthew chapter number seven. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Now, I want you to notice this, and the context of this is false prophets. We understand that. We understand that when we read Matthew chapter number 7, that there is a crowd of people that were preaching things contrary to Jesus Christ being the Messiah, and Him coming to die on the cross of Calvary, and bleeding nigh, and grace being extended to mankind. We understand that. But a prophet is a person illuminated, inspired, or instructed by God to announce future events. It's an interpreter. A prophet is an interpreter, one that explains or communicates sentiments. So, here is what essentially I am saying: We can take the principle here of Matthew chapter number seven, and we'll look at this more in detail tonight. But the Bible said beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing. They look like a sheep, brother, brother Gene. They smell like a sheep. They walk like a sheep. They act like a sheep. Well, let me explain to you what they don't do. They don't talk like a sheep. They have all the attributes of a sheep until they open their mouth. See, that's the thing. You can look like one, walk like one, smell like one, be shaped like one. But you don't bleat when you open your mouth. You growl. A wolf will howl and growl. And when a wolf begins to to howl or growl, when a wolf rears back and howls, a pack of wolves will howl, it's discord. There's no unison. There's no harmony. It's just awful. And listen, when you hear a pack of wolves howl, do you know what they do? It happens at night most of the time. It's done under the canvas of dark. It's not done out in the open. But they, they smell like it, look like it, walk like it, until they open their mouth. And when they do, what comes out isn't the bleeding of a sheep. And here's what the Bible says, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Outwardly they look like a sheep, but inwardly they're not. What's on the inside doesn't match what folk are seeing on the outside. Absalom looked like one of King David's. Absalom taught, or walked like one And he acted like one, but when he talked, when he opened his mouth, what came out of his mouth was discord. It wasn't in harmony with David. It wasn't in harmony with the kingdom. It was discord. And it was not in unison. And let me tell you something. You shall know them, the Bible said, by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? A, a, a wolf may look like a sheep, but eventually you're going to understand that what you're looking at isn't what you thought it was. And do you know what you do with a wolf and then I'm done tonight. I'm done this morning. We don't, if you don't get the penance to come, I'll get you to just to play something softly. I wasn't going to do that, but I think I should. You know what you do with a wolf, but if you? A wolf will hurt sheep. A wolf will bite sheep. See, here's the problem. You don't realize it's a wolf till the wolf opens its mouth. When it opens its mouth, though, it's committed. Because everyone around it realizes what they've heard doesn't sound like that of the way you And then there's desperation. And when desperation sets in, then there becomes bite. And when bite sets in, there becomes blood. And when blood is thrown, there's the fact that takes place and you better do something with the wolf or you've got the opportunity. You know what you do? You draw a bead on that wolf. You cough the hammer back and you squeeze the trigger and you shoot that thing right between the eyes and drop it dead where it lays because if you don't, you're going to lose the rest of your sheep to that wolf. So here's what I'm saying and then I'm done this morning. You see a sheep or you see sheep and you recognize a wolf, don't you do what Joab done. You do what David done and do your best to drive that thing to get you. Because if you don't drive it to Gesher and you allow it to stay in Jerusalem, you'll lose 20,000 men of Israel that did not have to die. Sometimes, Chris, it's just you or the wolf. Which one's it going to be this morning? Listen, I'm going to do my best tonight to take us through the Bible and teach us what the Bible has to say about dealing with wolves. I'm going to do a study tonight and bring us through how the Bible tells us that we are to deal with this thing line upon line, word by word. But it would do you good to recognize this morning that not everything that looks like a sheep and walks like a sheep and moves like a sheep and, and, and is dressed like a sheep is a sheep. The Bible tells us Paul said this fools. When I depart from you, grievous fools will come in on you. He didn't say they might said they do. And he warns how to do it. We need to be able to recognize them this morning. If you need to come to business with God, this altar is open. I don't, uh, I don't suppose uh, that we'll be lengthy in our invitation, but should you need to come, this altar is open. I'll give you a few minutes to do that. Lord, dealt with your heart or something on your heart uh, that needs to be taken care of, you by all means come and take care of it this morning. While she plays.